Amen. Well, if you don't mind standing for the reading of the Word of God, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. It's going to be on the screen behind me. You can either follow along um, on the screen or follow along in your own Bibles. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 14 and go through verse 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh was also, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I might say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received the promise of the Father, I mean, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, by, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness. And continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you. 
Let me pray again once more and ask God for help. Lord, I need your help at this time to preach your word lovingly, faithfully, boldly. I need your help also, Lord, to prepare hearts before me. Lord, you are the one who does the work in the heart. I can only rightly present the truth, which is all you've asked me to do. So I pray that you would help me to do my part faithfully, and I pray knowing that you will faithfully do your part, Lord, to draw souls to yourself, to draw sinners, to build up your church. Help us to receive this word rightly and to walk obedience, walk in obedience to it. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we were ever even missionaries, before I ever even went to Bible college, getting my bachelor's degree from there, I actually got an associate's degree in drafting. I used to do drafting. It's called computer-aided drafting. They call it CAD. And we learned, as a part of that schooling, uh, our professors taught us many different types of drafting because they didn't know what job we were going to get after schooling. So they teach you a little bit of all the different kinds that are out there. They taught us uh, how to draft pipes, like drawing piping for buildings, uh, electrical drafting, architectural drafting, all, all different kinds you learn when you're in school, just like almost anything out there. that They teach you all the different fields. Well, especially the architectural part of drafting when I was in school, it really made me appreciate all that goes into building a building. And it made me also, when I saw buildings, it made me think about them differently and, and, and even appreciate their architecture a bit more, knowing, oh gosh, someone actually had to think of that and then draw that, and then people had to use that drawing to then make it. And so I started getting an eye just for different types of, of buildings that were out there. I began to notice them. There's lots of different buildings out in the world, lots of different kinds. I mean, think about the different kinds that are out there. Think about the ones that are in Japan, how they have their own look. And then ones that are maybe in Germany, they have their own look. And then ones that are maybe in the Middle East, they, they all have their own look. And you know what? Depending on the era that they're built in and the culture that they're built in, they're all going to look and be a little different. But you know what? They all have in common, no matter what era they were built in or what culture they'll be, they were built in. You know what they all have in common? They all have to have the same foundation. The foundation is the same on all of them. What do I mean? The foundation on all of them has to be three things. It has to be sure, it has to be strong, and it has to be level on all of them. You don't have a building that will even stand unless you have a foundation that is sure and strong and level. Buildings, of course, will certainly reflect the era they were built in, and buildings will certainly reflect the culture that they're built in, but foundations have to be the same, no matter the culture, era, or building. Churches all over the world, and by church I don't mean steeple building, I mean people. People, churches all over the world, they will certainly also reflect the era that they existed in and the culture that they exist in. Like I said, we were missionaries. Some parts of the church over in different cultures that we've lived in, we've lived in two other countries besides this one, and I'm going to tell you, the churches just have different flavors. We've gone away from some of the Spanish services before with our ears ringing 
they turn the speakers up to a thousand decibels. I don't know why, but almost every Spanish service we've ever been in is just loud. The service is just so loud. So churches are going to look different and act a bit different all over the world in some ways. But if it's a true, real, biblical church, the foundation is always going to be the same. And the foundation is the gospel. The gospel foundation cannot change or you have no church. You know, last week's message uh, was titled The Birth of the New Testament Church. And I showed you all that the birth of, the church was actually birthed out of a Trinitarian God. He has to be a Trinity in order for the church, church to even come about. All three persons of the Trinity were involved in the birth of the New Testament church. Today, I want to talk about what the foundation of the New Testament church is, the foundation of the New Testament church. And what we saw and what we're going to see is that it's the preaching of the gospel. It was the preaching of the gospel that made those first 3,000 souls a part of the church. Without the gospel being preached, there would have been no souls saved that day. Once the Holy Spirit poured himself out on the 12, they then are given a message to grow the church, and it's the gospel message. The early church, the first church, was built upon the foundation of the gospel. Peter preached the gospel using the word of God as proof that, number one, Jesus was the Christ, number two, that Jesus was raised from the dead. You might have seen that. You know when he started, remember when he started in verse 14, why does he say uh, men of Judea and all who dwell here in Jerusalem, these people are not drunk as you suppose because it's only nine in the morning. Why did he even say that? Well, as, as you know, the part before this, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, they began to speak in different tongues. The Bible in that section lists 16 different people groups that were there in Jerusalem. Why were they there? Well, for the Feast of Pentecost. Jewish people under the Old Testament in the Old Covenant, God gave Jewish people different feasts and festivals to celebrate. You, you might remember roughly a year and a half ago, I went over all of them. You might remember some of them were obligatory, meaning you had to be in Jerusalem to, to celebrate them. All of them were, you were obligated to celebrate all of them. But some of them had to be celebrated in Jerusalem. Like you had to go there to celebrate them. Passover was one of them. Pentecost was also one of them. That's why you've got all these different people from all these different 16 cultures there in Jerusalem. It lists all of them. You can go back and read them. Pontus and Asia, Cappadocia, Phrygia, Egypt, Libya, all these different people are there. And what do they say? They say, how is it these Galileans, these Galileans, are speaking in all these different languages. I've asked around here, kind of what's the area that, that people might say, whoa, I wouldn't expect anything super magnificent to come out of, out of that area. And one of the local people told me, ball play. I don't know anything about ball play, but apparently some people say, you know, you don't really expect a whole lot to come out of ball play. Now, no offense to anyone who lives in ball play. It's probably pretty awesome. I've never been there. 
But remember when Nathaniel said about Jesus, can anything good come from Nazareth? Remember that? Can anything good come from Nazareth? These people were seeing these gentlemen from Galilee, which Nazareth is in Galilee, saying, how are they speaking in a language that we understand? These Galileans, and what were they saying? If you look back in your Bible at verse 11, it talks about Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabians. They're all there. And they say, we hear them telling in our own tongues, what? The mighty works of God. I want you to understand that when tongues were given originally, tongues were given to declare what? God's works, the mighty works of God, so that people could be saved. It's not for the building up of self in any way. It's not for the getting, getting of money in any way. It's all for the pointing to God himself. And so isn't it amazing? God gives this ability for the first 12 to be able to speak in unknown tongues. But why? so that people could hear the truth of God and be saved. God was concerned about the salvation of souls from the very beginning. And that was the foundation of the church from the very beginning, the preaching of the gospel. And Peter shows them clearly through mentioning Joel. He says, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Even alcoholics aren't usually drunk by nine in the morning. I mean, come on. We're not drunk. Let me tell you what's going on. What does it say in verse 16? But this, what's happening, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he mentions a prophecy that was given hundreds of years through the prophet Joel, hundreds of years prior, rather, through the prophet Joel about the pouring out of God's Spirit on this last days. And what's going to be done? He says, this that's happening fulfills that. This is the fulfillment of what was said through the prophet Joel. God declaring mighty things with mighty wonders to his people. And then what's he do? He goes on to show also through quoting Psalm 16 that when it says, I saw the Lord always before me, he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken, therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh will also dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And then Peter says, you know who David's talking about here? He says he's not talking about himself. He's talking about the Messiah. This was a proclamation of what was to come concerning his son. And he says later on, this Jesus, God didn't let his body see corruption. He raised him from the dead showing that he is the mighty God in power. He can do what he says he can do. He can fulfill all his words. He preached. Prophecy fulfilled. He used the word of God to declare the gospel. And 3,000 souls were added to the church upon preaching that day. 3,000. Can you imagine? I mean, we've got like, what, not even 30 in this room? Imagine adding two more zeros to that. 3,000. Wow. Wow. Also, what an opportunity for the flesh. What an opportunity for the flesh that would have been. You know how 
men are with success. We don't handle success very well. Success has a way of corrupting us. But we see Peter unchanged from that point on. He's not looking for accolades. He's just thankful people are in the kingdom. He's thankful the gospel is doing what it does. The preaching of the gospel was foundational to what the church was doing at that time. Look at it. I've got four different verses to show you from the book of Acts to show you that, no, this indeed was, this wasn't just an anomaly on the first day. He thought, hey, the Holy Spirit's been poured out. Let me take this as an opportunity to preach. 3,000 souls are in, so we're done. 3,000 is enough. We don't need preaching anymore. No. Look what happened all throughout the book of Acts. Acts 5.42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Acts 8.4, now those who were scattered, because there was persecution that caused them to be scattered out, we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Notice, persecution didn't cause them to say, we should stop this preaching business. We're getting in trouble. We just lost our house for crying out loud. No. They said, now we get to preach it in other places. (laughs) Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Acts 8.25. Look at this. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. That's a big deal. Going to the Samaritans that were originally thought of as outcasts. Now once the gospel takes hold, you see people differently. You don't see people anymore. Black, white, poor, rich. From the right part of town, from the wrong part of town. No. You see Lost souls and saved souls, period. And saved souls look at the lost souls and they say, we want the lost souls to be saved souls. So we give them the truth. Acts 9.28. So he went in and out among them in, at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. That was the Apostle Paul, who's normally, I should say prior to this, he was an enemy of the gospel. Now God converts him, and he goes about boldly proclaiming. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. Preaching the gospel was foundational to all that the church did. Of all the things that the early leaders of the church were committed to, preaching the gospel was central. Why? Because Christ is central. See, the more gospel you give out, the more people you have believing in Jesus Christ. The gospel is central. Because Christ is central. We, those of us who've been saved, don't you love Jesus? Don't you love Jesus Christ? You think about him, and you almost weep sometimes because you think, why would he save me? Like, I know me. Why would he love me that much? Why would he die in my place? I mean, don't you just long to look at his face? That's what I, when I wake up, Amy and I were on the way home the other day from, um, no, on the way to a funeral. And we were talking, because the Bible doesn't make this clear. We were talking about, so what, what's the transition like between when you close your eyes for the last time in death and when you open them the first time in eternal life? Like, like what do you, what do you think happens? Like, when you, when you open your eyes for the first time, are angels there and they, and they take you into heaven? 
Or do you open your eyes and, and, and you see Jesus' face? I mean, what is it? Well, what's the first, how does that work? And I know when I think about heaven, I think about me already having been there, you know, when I usually think about heaven. But I want to know also, like, like what's, the, what's the first three seconds? Part of me thinks maybe it's I wake up and I'm looking in Jesus' face. <laughs> that's, that's really all I want. And if it happens during the first three seconds or if it happens later on, like 30 seconds, I think I could probably wait 30 seconds to see his face. You ask me for much more than 30 seconds. That's stretching it. Because I want to see his face quickly because I love him because he first loved me and I'm very unlovable in and of myself. And so they wanted the gospel spread because they wanted the name of Christ spread. We want the gospel spread because we want more in the family. We want sinners saved. We know what it's to be taken out of darkness. Remember the darkness? You should remember it sometimes, not to go back into it, not to yearn for it again, but just remember what you've been taken out of. Because remember those first months after you got saved? It's just... You're just happy to be free. Kind of like when you, if you set a dog free that's always been chained up its whole life. It just runs and runs and runs, right? You just, you're free. So sometimes it's, it's good to remember where you came from, not to discourage you or to get you depressed, but so you'll appreciate the goodness of God so much more, just like we're going to appreciate singing so much more next Sunday, right? Because we didn't have it today. They spread the gospel because they wanted Christ known. Because in this world, Christ must be shown and known as he truly is. Is there anything better that you could give to someone than Jesus Christ? Anything better you could show them? Any better truth you could hand them? The Lord Jesus, he's king and he's Lord. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. The primary method that the Lord has given us to spread his name is the preaching of the gospel. Getting the word out there. It can be done through evangelism, but primarily today we're talking about the preaching of the gospel. The early leaders of the church knew that no man would be saved without hearing the gospel. Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16, he said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he told us why. He said, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. For the Jews first, but also for the Gentiles. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. No gospel, no salvation. This foundation that we're built upon is vital. Mark's a builder. He knows. You have a bad foundation. Watch out below. That house is headed for doom. You crack the foundation, and you don't have the building for very long. That's why, church... The gospel's always been under such attack, which we're going to get to in a moment. But listen to what Paul also said later on in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. Romans 10, verses 13 through 15 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. By the way, that's a quote from Joel, just like Peter quoted that same verse when he was preaching the gospel that day. It was the very last thing Peter quoted from Joel when he was preaching to the crowds that day. Well, Paul also picks it up. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Watch this. How then will they call on him in whom they've never believed? Can't call on someone you've never believed in. And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Can't believe in somebody you've never heard about. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This isn't necessarily talking about their physical feet. It just means how beautiful is it when people come using their feet with the gospel. Because trust me, Cohen Ezel does not have beautiful feet. But the message that Cohen brings with those feet is a beautiful message. So this is not talking about their feet, but about the message they bring with their feet. And it is the gospel, and they can hear it if someone preaches it. And if someone preaches it, they can believe it. And if they believe it, they can be saved. The preaching of the gospel is the method that God has used to save souls. I was saved under preaching. Most all of us in here, you were probably saved hearing someone Preach the gospel. Now, it may have happened after you heard what they said, maybe later on that night or later on that week. Now, some of us are saved when someone comes to evangelize us, talking to us. Hey, friend, look at this verse. Look at this here. Don't you want to believe that? Yes, I do want to believe that. Right there on the street, they're saved. That can happen too, 100%, because it's the gospel message that has the power, not necessarily the vehicle, but the gospel message itself. But preaching, 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 as mentioned so often in the scriptures, is the preaching of the gospel that's the foundation of the church. We know this, and we glory in this. But guess who else also knows this? Your enemy also knows this. An enemy that's very strong, clever, Deceptive. Now, of course, we don't fear him because he that's in us is greater than he that's in the world, the Bible tells us. But our enemy, the devil, also knows the power of the gospel to save men. That's why he works so hard to keep mankind from believing it. Don't believe me? Listen to Paul. He wrote this again, 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. Listen to what Paul says about the devil, our enemy, that he calls the God of this age, lowercase g, God of this age. He, look, and even if our gospel, there's our word, even if our gospel is veiled, what's a veil? A veil is something that covers something. So he's saying, even if our gospel is covered up, like you can't see it well, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, non-believers. They're dying in their sins. In their case, the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Why? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Amy and I were talking about this yesterday, just some of the things that we read about online, and things like that. We just see people and she gets so perplexed naturally. She says, how can they believe that? Right? We read about things. Why would they do that? That's so just illogical and weird and dumb. How can they do that? And you just want to shake them, right? Like, I think back to the old Cohen. If I could go back to old Cohen, I'd be like, you are some kind of dummy. I mean, good night. Nothing going on in there. Why are they like that? 
they're blind. They can't see it because they're blind. And the devil's blinding them. He's being sure to blind them from what, according to this verse, though? What is it that he doesn't want them to see? The light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. They're in darkness, and he wants them to stay that way. He deceives them. Whenever someone teaches them, whenever someone says to them something about God, he whispers in their ear, they're idiots, don't believe them. That's so backwards and old-fashioned. That's so strange. After all, if you believe that, you'll have to stop doing this and that. And you love doing this and that, don't you? After all, if you believe that, you'll have to come clean about this and that. And you and I both know you've been hiding that for a long time. And we got to keep that secret because after all, if people know about that, they're not going to like you and they're going to ridicule you. Oh no, this church is full of good people. They're not going to take you in anyway. You're too bad. So just stay with me. I get you. And after all, I don't hate your sins. I think they're kind of cute. Just stay with me. Just stay with me. Don't believe them. And they stay in the lie. They stay in the darkness. And he keeps them deceived. But you know what Satan's really afraid of? That light coming off Jesus' face that I mentioned earlier. You know why? He has no power against it. None. When Jesus wants a soul, he reaches in and he takes that soul, just like he did to Paul, who was then Saul on the road to Damascus, knocks him off his animal. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Tells him what to do, where to go. Tells another follower, Jesus tells another follower, Brian, help me with that gentleman's name who he told Ananias. Are you Ananias to go pray for, the, for, for Paul when the scales fell off? Thank you. He's my, he's my backup. Says to Ananias, go to Straight Street where Paul's staying and place your hand on him that he may be saved. Ananias says, um, Jesus, is this the Saul that I'm thinking about? The one who tries to hurt us and kill us? Because I'm afraid of him. This is a paraphrase. This is the CEV. Have you guys ever heard of the Cohen Ezel version? It's a pretty good paraphrase. Translator's sort of a... Mm. He says, yes, that's the one. And he goes to him and he prays. And Saul receives the Holy Spirit that day and begins preaching what? The gospel. When Jesus wants a soul, he reaches in, no matter what the devil's doing. That's good news, isn't it? God can save a soul, no matter how thick the darkness Don't stop praying for your friends who are in the darkness. God can save them. God can save them. Keep praying for them. Amen? Keep praying for them. Don't think that just because we're small in number doesn't mean that God can't use us in a big way. He can. He truly can. Well, now here's something strange about this message. I've been using this word gospel, 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 gospel the whole time, and guess what? I've never defined it. I never even told you what the gospel is. Told you they're preaching it. Told you to spread it. Told you churches are built on it. Never defined it. What is the gospel? The gospel is this. It means good news. That's what that word means. Euangelion. Good news in Greek. But it's not good news until you know the bad news. Here's the bad news. You're a sinner separated from Almighty God. Your sins that you've willfully committed, no one made you do them, 
have separated you from God. You are separate from God when you're in your sinful state. But God did something for you. Out of his mercy, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ perfectly kept God's law. You've broken it. Jesus Christ perfectly kept it. He's the great, perfect law keeper. You know what he choose, chose to do for you? Even though he was righteous, did not deserve any punishment at all. You do because you've broken God's laws. He chose to take the punishment that you deserve, to die in your place, to take the wrath of Almighty God upon himself. He shed his blood and he died. And he was really buried. And he really rose again from the dead. On the third day, God raised him to show that the price for your sin has been paid. That debt that you owe, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, the Bible says in Romans 6, 23. Because Jesus is raised, if you'll repent and turn from those sins that are separating you from God and you'll put your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you, you will be saved. That's the truth. That righteousness that Jesus procured through his keeping of the law goes on to your account. Because when he was punished under God's wrath, that sin was placed on his account. Otherwise, God couldn't punish him. Can't punish a law keeper. He was punishing him for all the sins of all those who would ever believe. That's the gospel. God saves sinners because of the work of Jesus Christ. Repent. Believe it. Be saved. That's the gospel. That's our message. That's our message. That's our hope. And that's what all churches are built upon, no matter the era in which they've existed or the culture in which they've existed. If they're a true, real church, that's what they're built on. The foundation of the gospel. That's why it's under such attack. That's why this book and this truth is under such attack. You, right now, in this era, in this culture, you are being tempted to compromise on this for the sake of what's being called love. It's loving for you to let women do what they want with their bodies when it comes to abortion. It's loving for you to let people do what they want to with their bodies if they want to change over and become a woman or a man or, or to be gay you better let them do that or you're unloving. And that's just two examples of the things we're being tempted with in our culture. That's just two. Those are just kind of the loudest right now. And so those are the ones that I chose. Don't think that I'm not recognizing that fornication is out of control in our culture and immodesty and all these things. But you are being labeled as someone who's a hater if you don't allow it. Or if you even point at it slightly and say, isn't that bad? Oh, look out. The wolves are about to rip you apart. But don't worry. You're not standing alone. You're standing on the word of God. Jesus is with you. You never stand alone when you stand on the word of God. There are faithful Christians throughout this nation, throughout this world, that are standing on the truth. And you'll, you will unite with them in heaven one day. Don't you worry. Jesus brings all of his children together in the end because he's a good father. And so, yes, it might feel like you have to stand alone at work sometimes. It might feel like you have to stand alone in your family sometimes, doesn't it? But you don't stand alone in this church. That's why gathering together week after week is so good for us. It charges my batteries. Doesn't it charge yours? I hope that it does. I really hope that it does. We need this. This is the detox from the world time as well. <laughs> You, you get the world 
lambasting you all week long. You need to detox from the world. That's why, please, also take advantage of anything else that the church might be doing. Um, Get involved in those things. This is good for us. The foundation, I said at the beginning, has to be sure, strong, and level. So in conclusion, just want to talk about those three things, and then we'll wrap this up. The foundation, I said, of any building has to be sure, I said, it has to be strong, and it has to be level. The gospel is our foundation. That's what makes the church, the preaching of the gospel. Believing that is what makes the church. It's what gets you in. So when I talk about it being sure, what do I mean? Well, some other synonyms for the word sure are reliable, unfailing, certain. Is our gospel reliable? Oh, yes. You can rely on its truth. Is it unfailing? 100%. It'll never fail because Jesus can never fail. His work is done. What did he say on the cross before he let his head fall in death? It's finished. It's finished. And our gospel is certain. To be sure means reliable, unfailing, certain. The gospel is all those things. Next, I said it's also got to be strong. The foundation has to be strong. Meaning firm, solid, unbreakable. Is our gospel firm? Oh, yes. You can attack it all you want. It does not weaken it in the slightest. Is it solid? Yes. Is it unbreakable? The gospel will never be broken because Jesus did that work and it's finished and it's sure and it's based on Jesus Christ himself who's seated at the right hand of Almighty God. What did he say before he was ascended? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. (laughs) He has all authority. He's unbreakable. Lastly, I said that a foundation has to be level. What does that mean? It has to be exact. It has to be uniform. It has to be straight in being exact. The The gospel is exact because it can walk this razor's edge. What do I mean? The gospel fulfills two different things. A just God who has to punish sin, but who can also be merciful. How can someone who's just and has to punish sin also be merciful? How can he do that? He can't, except through Christ. See, Christ absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf so that he now can be merciful to me. He'd be a bad judge if he just said, yeah, you know all those sins that you did? We're just going to let those go. That's not just. That's not. That's injustice. There has to be punishment for wrongdoing. If you're a good judge, if you were wronged in some way, if I stole your car and crashed it, and the judge says, Cohen, did you steal Chris's car? Yes, sir. And you crashed it and blew it up. Yes, sir, I sure did. Hmm. Chris, tell you what. You know, I'm a loving judge. So uh, I'm just going to let that go. Case dismissed. Chris would be crying out, you're a bad judge. That's That's not fair. You're not doing what's fair and right and good. The gospel walks that razor's edge. It's exact. God can now be just and the justifier of those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? He can do both now because of Christ. It's also uniform. What's that mean? It's level, it's perfect in all of its areas. Every part of it is the same. Remember what Peter was doing when he was preaching the gospel? He kept quoting all these places in the Old Testament. He quoted Joel, he quoted Psalm 16, and he quoted Psalm 110. 
And he showed how all of them are fulfilled in Christ, even though they were prophesied hundreds of years apart. Jesus brings it all level, uniform. Lastly, it's straight. In the Bible, you've got these comparisons between something being straight and something being crooked. And it means it's either righteous or unrighteous. We have a righteous gospel, don't we? Because we can be made right with God through Jesus Christ. Church, don't give up or give in on letting the foundation be destroyed. You break the foundation. You let the foundation of the word of God, the gospel, be deteriorated, dissolved. Look out below. Everything crashes. We are built on the gospel. Amen? Let's stand in it. Father, we are glad that we have this wonderful truth. We're glad that you're so sure and firm because of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would please help us to stand on the truth, knowing we don't actually stand alone. And help us to not be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And help us to hold it firmly, trusting that you'll also hold us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,